0: Thank you for visiting Crossland Community Church. We are located in Terre Haute, Indiana. For more information, please visit us online at com. Let's listen to one of our Sunday morning messages. Turn in your Bibles to Jeremiah. If you have a Bible and want to follow along, we're going to be all over the book. So not, not all over, from like verse uh, chapter 25 through 29. And no, I'm not reading every verse from chapters 25 to 29. Um, Friday marked the eighth anniversary of nine eleven and uh, I watched on Facebook throughout the day and I watched on the news and listened on the radio as different events got covered uh, commemorating the the nine eleven anniversary uh, on Facebook. It was really interesting because I watched people all day long post in their in their uh, status or their you know what they 're doing now thing they were they were talking about. Remembering where they were and what they were doing when they heard about uh, those planes going into the towers, and and you know it's one of those defining moments in your life. It's it's um, you know it's it's JFK being shot. It's it's um, it's it's the space shuttle exploding on television. It's it's one of those. It's Ronald Reagan being shot. You know, getting into his limousine. I, I I will never forget where I was when I heard those things. Um, I will never forget what I was doing on 9/11. Uh, this building was going up out here. We had construction people here. I was here by myself. I don't know where Parley was, but she was gone that day, and it was just me and Parley. And and I remember hearing that um, over the, the intercom, over the radio, and you know everybody was confused about what that was. Well, in hindsight, what we've realized is that 9/11 has changed the world. And the way we look at the world has changed as a result of 9-11. Some people got angry. Some people did not understand <clears throat> what was going on. Some people lost loved ones. Um, it's changed the world in that we, we have now put men and women in our armed services in harm's way as a result of 9-11. And some of those people have lost their life. Some of those people have been injured. And they've come home. And their life has been changed. 9-11 changed everything for us as a country. And so one of the things that happened is we came to the realization that America might not be as safe a place as we had always hoped and thought that it was. And sometimes it's real easy to go through an experience like 9-11 and maybe you've got your own personal 9-11. Maybe you're going through that right now. And it's easy to lose hope. It's easy to, to, you know, ask some questions of God or of somebody like what's going on what, what you know how do I make sense of, of everything that's happening more and more what I see around me if I'm honest uh, what I see in myself at times is a strong temptation <laughs> to give up hope to, to just throw your hands in the air and say you know what it's too hard it's it's just too hard uh, you know I, I I I don't know that things are going to ever get better and, God, what help me make sense of, of what's happening in the world around me and happening in my life. And if I'm real honest, sometimes, and, and you know me well enough to know by now, I'm an honest preacher, okay? I will tell you, I'm just like you. Sometimes I ask the questions that you ask, and the question I ask sometimes is, God, what is going on? What's going on? Because I don't get it. And this doesn't make sense. And I want to cling to hope, and I want to know that there's something more, but, God, right now, in this moment... It just doesn't really seem to make a whole lot of sense. One of the most incredible promises in the Bible comes from the 29th chapter of Jeremiah. You are probably familiar with this passage. In fact, some of you could probably quote this particular passage of scripture. Jeremiah 29, verse 11. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. You can go into any Christian bookstore. And you know they have the section my preacher growing up called it Jesus junk. You can go into that section where they got all this stuff that's got you know they got little rubber balls with scriptures written on them, they got little statues with scriptures written on them and fish with scriptures written on them and plaques. You could probably find this particular passage of scripture on just about every um, uh, piece of Jesus junk they've got in the Christian bookstore because it's everywhere. It's it's etched on things in marble. It's written beautifully on parchment. It's it's all. This is a passage that a lot of people know. And this is the kind of thing that we want to hang in our house. This is the kind of thing we put on the wall. This is the kind of thing that we have on the the dashboard of our car or on our refrigerator, or maybe it's a verse that we put when we look into the mirror up in the corner. I know some people put memory verses up there so that they can memorize the verses. This is probably one of the ones that that you've done that with. And yet there are times in our life that when we, we know that passages like this Exist and we know that God has said these things, there are times in our life that we sense there is a problem. Because deep down, there is a question that nags all of us, and we hesitate to verbalize the question because it kind of bothers us. The question is this. God, what's a promise like that worth when the bottom drops out of life? We don't want to sound faithless. We don't want to sound like we've given up on God. But the truth is, there are times that you can do everything you can possibly think of to try and please God, only to turn around and realize that the bottom has dropped out. You can knock yourself out to do everything the right way, to memorize all the verses, to go to church every Sunday, to give your money, to give your time, to teach your kids. You can do it all right. And turn around, and in one instant, your world just goes to pot. And you're asking yourself the question, man, God, what, what's up? For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord, plans to prosper you. I can still remember taking the elevator up to one of the floors at Riley Hospital. There was a couple that attended a church that... I served when I first got out of college it was a couple that loved God they were a sweet couple they they were faithful church attenders they had good attitudes they worked hard and the pastor that I was working with who's a dear friend of mine and I love him to death um, we were hurriedly making our way to Indianapolis to get to Riley Hospital making that hour-long drive from just south of Columbus To get to Riley Hospital because the news we'd gotten was this is not good. This this little 15-month-old baby boy with a very rare blood disease had taken a turn for the worse. And as if that wasn't bad enough, as if the scenario I just gave you, 15-months-old, rare blood disease, on the verge of dying, as if that's not bad enough, I would add to that that this couple lost another baby boy about two or two and a half years prior to this to the same rare blood disease. That little boy was five months old. So they've had one. They've lost him at five months old. They've been told that the mother carries this, this passes this gene. It's, it's a defective thing, and it causes problems in the males. The, the females carry it, but the males demonstrate the problem. And the first little boy died at five months. And so they had a second little boy, and they knew that it was possible that he could get this same rare blood disease. And finally they figured out, yeah, he's got it too. And so they tried to do everything they could to keep this little boy alive. Fifteen months he made it. And we get the call, and we are flying up uh, Interstate 65 to get to Indianapolis. And we get on the elevator, we, f- we fi- go to the desk, we find the room, get to the elevator, we walk through the doors, and it is deathly silent in the room. W- where we had once been and heard all kinds of machines in the background, and we'd seen tubes everywhere, all that stuff had been disconnected. And it was completely quiet. And I was watching a father cradle a baby in his arms. Just rocking back and forth in the silence. There, there are no words for a moment like that. You know, I make my living with words. I'm supposed to know what to say. But there are times You just don't know what to say. And this was one of those times. I couldn't have said anything that would have brought that baby back to life. And I couldn't have said anything that would have made the world right for that father and for his bride. For I know the plans I have for you. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. That's what God says. There are a number of people, people that we know who would wonder, what kind of promise is that? We hear every day on the news and on the radio about some tragic accident or somebody that's had some horrible, horrible disease. You know people in your world and, it, and, and, and at some point in your life, it's been you that has just gone through something that you cannot imagine you would not wor- wish on your worst enemy. And then you come across a pl- promise like this. For I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you a hope and a future. Some people faced with such hardship would respond that Jeremiah's words are a much smaller promise than we've been led to believe. They would say that it's a nice thought. It's even a sentimental thought, but it kind of melts away in the heat of the realities of the real world. Our difficulty in understanding the promise is not that we think it as too large, but really that we think it is too small. We've banked too little on this promise. Not too much for it runs deeper and richer And stronger than we ever imagined the problem Is not with the verse that we've memorized many of us The problem is not with the verse that you know and when I started talking about jeremiah twenty nine eleven, 11 some of you said Oh, I know that verse The problem's not with the verse we memorized the problem is with some of the verses that we haven't memorized when jeremiah wrote These words it really was the worst of times for his generation The balance of world power was in flux. Sitting uh, between very powerful nations was this country of Assyria that had gone away, pretty much. And all the power was shifting between the nations. And Jeremiah's people were really caught in the crossfire. There were empires that were jostling to take over the vacuum that Assyria had left behind when they kind of fell away. There was a new superpower about to take hold, and it was just a matter of who would win the wars to figure out who that superpower would be. In the south, it was the Egyptians who were eager to regain what had been a very uh, powerful stronghold that they'd known centuries earlier, and they now saw their opportunity to rise up. To the east, it was a new city-state called Babylon, and it was beginning to consume everything in its path. Sandwich between these two superpowers was this little country of Judah and Jerusalem was the capital. And Jerusalem would become really the wrestling mat on which these countries would fight for supremacy. The people in that time hoped for the same things that you and I hoped for. You know, we want a good job. We want to be able to make a little bit of money. We want to raise some kids. We want to be able to put back a little bit for a rainy day. We want to take a nice vacation. We want peace and harmony in our world. We don't want to hurt anybody. We want to make an honest living. We want a little place we can call our own. So these people did everything they could to preserve the, the life and future that they'd hoped for. They battled, they joined alliances, they uh, made treaties, they paid outlandish tribute to the ones who would extract those from them. And none of these things really seemed to offer the lasting effect that they'd hoped for in time. uh, The Babylonians would pour in and they would loot the temple. They would steal the riches. They would deport the kings. And they would take the brightest and the best off into captivity. If you are familiar with the story of Daniel, that's what that was all about. That's what was going on there. The people of Judah were not really all that different from you and me. They wanted the same things out of life that we want, and then their hopes were dashed right before their very eyes; their pain was just as real as yours or mine might be when when things we had hoped for, and we realized you know what it's not going to turn out that way. We had these grand plans and and the Babylonians have come in, and they've messed it all up, and they had questions just as deep into this turmoil, into this devastation and confusion. Jeremiah spoke for God. It wasn't an easy job. He had a message to deliver that really nobody wanted to hear, not even Jeremiah. Let me tell you, it's a bad sermon when even you don't want to hear it. That's what Jeremiah had. Basically, his message was, it's time to come clean with God. We've turned our backs on him and we've gone another direction We've put other things in his place, and we've ignored his ways, and we've chased after money, and we've chased after an awful lot of things, and we've gotten away from him. And if we will repent, God will demonstrate his grace by bringing healing to our broken lives. That's basically the message that Jeremiah had for his people. The problem was, there was a catch. The message of the Lord to Jeremiah was that before things would get better, they were going to get worse. You've heard that recently, haven't you, as we've gone through this economic thing? It's going to get better. But before it gets better, it's going to get worse. And you probably at some point in this whole deal have asked yourself, can it get any worse? Before restoration would come, there would be more tragedy. Jeremiah 25, verse 8. Therefore the Lord Almighty says this, because you have not listened to my words, I will summon all the peoples of the north And my servant Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, declares the Lord, and I will bring them against this land and its inhabitants, and against all the surrounding nations I will completely destroy them and make them an object of horror and scorn and an everlasting ruin. The entire nation could not figure out how this could be. The land was already defeated. The people were already demoralized. The nobles were already deported, and all the resources had already been depleted. How could it get any worse than it already was? An opportunistic preacher named Hananiah stepped into the confusion, and he started to spread a different message, one that had a little more hope to it, one that was a little more pleasing, one that tickled the ears of the people a little better, Jeremiah 28 verse 1 tells us about that. In the fifth month of that same year, the fourth year, early in the reign of Zedekiah, king of Judah, the prophet Hananiah, son of Azur, who was from Gibeon, said to me in the house of the Lord, in the presence of the priests and all the people, this is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says. I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Within two years I will bring back this place, all the... To this place, all the articles of the Lord's house that Nebuchadnezzar, king of Babylon, removed from here and took to Babylon. Verse 4: I will also bring back to this place Jehoiakim, son of Jehoiakim, king of Judah, and all the other exiles from Judah who went to Babylon, declares the Lord. For I will break the yoke of the king of Babylon. Now, as you might expect, everybody was pretty happy and was rejoicing pretty good over the message that Hananiah was bringing because most people want to hear that their troubles are over. Most people want to know that the bad stuff is past, that we don't have to worry about that anymore. Even Jeremiah wanted to hear that. Jeremiah verse 20 uh, chapter 28 verse 5. Then the prophet Jeremiah replied to the prophet Hananiah before the priests and all the people who were standing in the house of the Lord. He said, Amen. <laughs> May the Lord Do so. May the Lord fulfill the words you have prophesied by bringing the articles of the Lord's house and all the exiles back to to this place from Babylon. The problem was that while Hananiah's message sounded good, it wasn't true, and Jeremiah knew it wasn't true. Hananiah had declared that there would be restoration, and it was just around the corner, but what he didn't tell them was that there were still 70 years of what they were dealing with now that they had to go through. It was going to take some time. It was going to get worse before it was going to get better. Hananiah neglected to leave that part out or neglected to to say that part. He left that part out. So Jeremiah wrote a letter to all the elders and all the exiles in Babylon and we find in this letter the promise that we've mentioned today. This promise that we maybe some of you have memorized in your life and the one uh, and then there's also this other promise that we haven't memorized. We have forgotten that verses 10 and 11 were always meant to go together. And I'm gonna read those for you together now, uh, the one that we do know and the one that maybe we don't. This is what the Lord says. When 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. For I know the plans I have for you, declares the Lord. Plans to prosper you and not to harm you. Plans to give you a hope and a future. Now, did you hear the first part? This is what the Lord says, when 70 years are completed for Babylon, I will come to you and fulfill my gracious promise to bring you back to this place. Now imagine yourself as one of the first hearers of those words. When 70 long years have passed and things have gone from bad to worse and it's gotten to the point that you don't think it can get any worse than it's gotten, then the promise will come after the Babylonians have broken in again and again and again. After the temple has been destroyed. After things have been stolen. After homes have been destroyed. After they have killed our sons and our daughters. After they have marched those of us who remain across the hot desert sand to a place that is not our home. After all that's happened, after we've been introduced to the godless, where probably nearly all of us are going to die, most of our children will die in that land, and those of us who don't will return home to what? Then when 70 long years of anguish have rolled by, God is going to fulfill his promise? Does that sound like something everybody wants to go through? And then you read, For I know the plans I have for you, declares the lord plans to prosper you and not to harm you plans to give you a hope and a future can't you just hear the questions that those people would have been asking you have a plan for me you're going to bring me back to this place i'm 40 years old at the end of 70 years i'm not going to be worth shooting i mean what 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 good is this promise for me at the end of 70 years they could feel all the tension in this promise just like you and i probably would as well We all go through hardships. We all go through stuff that we wouldn't want to wish on our worst enemy. We all go through things that we think, man, what did I do to deserve this? Sometimes we've done something and we do deserve what we're going through. But a lot of times, the stuff we're going through is just like, you know what? I don't know what I did to deserve this. Where are all those wonderful promises of God? Have you ever found yourself sometimes in the midst of it just saying, God, I know you're faithful, I know you're there, I know you love me, but man, right now... It just feels hard. I think we all ask similar questions from time to time. How long will it last? What does it all mean? How could God possibly have a plan in this when it just looks like total chaos to me? Because isn't it true that unless we understand it, we think everything's out of control, right? I mean, that's pretty much how we operate. Unless we can explain it all, and unless we understand everything, we think life is out of control. Even though God would say, you know what? You don't have to understand it all. I understand it. Just trust me. It's hard for us. And yet God's promise stands firm. For I know the plans I have for you. There is a Hebrew word that God uses for the word plans. It's a very colorful word. The word is mahashaba. Yeah, I'm a Hebrew scholar now. Mahashaba. I had to look that up in a book. I don't know what that is. But that's the word that gets used for plans. And what I learned is that word uh, Mahashaba is is really to to translate that as plans is pretty mundane. That's not really a great. um, This is a very rich word. It's a very colorful word. It carries with it the idea of exquisite design. As Jeremiah would have made his way through the marketplace. He would have seen the handiwork of artisans. He would have seen rugs that had been woven. He'd seen um, pottery and he'd seen artwork and it would have been very exquisite. The designs would have been exquisite. That would, You would say, that is mahashaba. That's an exquisite design. So when you read that passage... From from that perspective, then it kind of changes it a little bit. For I know the plant, the the Mahashaba, the great design that I have for you. It talk he, God talks like an artist. Have you ever watched an artist do their work and and think to yourself, how are they going to make that look right? That doesn't look right in the middle of it. A lot of times, uh, sculptors or painters that you know, you see something and they're putting color on the canvas, but it's like, man, I. I just don't see it. We used to go to CIY and they would have this guy get up and he would paint with his hands and he would do all this stuff and you're like, man, I, I mean, it's cool because he, when he moves his hand, there's color, but it doesn't look like anything to me. And then all of a sudden, he puts the right color red or he puts the right black in the right place and he stands back and it's like, oh, that's the, that's the face of Jesus. I see what that is. But a lot of times at the beginning, it just looked chaotic. It didn't look like it made any sense at all. When Jeremiah used this word, it was this word, exquisite design, God's promise is that even when everything may appear to be collapsing around me, even when it doesn't make sense, even when it seems like total chaos, he still has an exquisite design of beauty for my life. That is what this promise is saying. Maybe that's you. Maybe right now in the middle of your world, you are just saying to yourself, man, my life is nothing but a trash heap. It doesn't seem like anything good is going on in my life. It just seems like it all falls apart. You know, the car's breaking down, the washer doesn't work, phone service is bad, you know, internet's not working, whatever your deal is, sickness, health problems, you got rift in your family. I don't know what possibly could be going on in your world, but I know because I hear stories that there's bad stuff all around us. I have some pictures I want to show you. Um, There are artists now who, if you go to Google and you Google um, art from trash or trash that is art or artists using trash, you are going to find some some, uh, images that look like this. I want to show you a couple of these. This is a purse that has been made. I don't know if you guys can make that out. It's a purse that's been made out of keys on a keyboard. Okay? They they go to the I mean they literally go to a trash heap and they find garbage and they bring it back and clean it up and they do some uh, engineering on it and they turn it into useful things. What's the next one we have? These are wine bottles that have been turned into lamps that you can you can light a candle and and uh, they make lamps. They and so those have been discarded and somebody said you know what we can we can make something decorative out of those. This next one's kind of cool. It's uh it's a grill that you know we got gas grills now we don't do that charcoal thing anymore so we just get the grill and put some dirt in it and put, that looks like weeds to me i'm sure that's a really important you know kind of plant but but if i was mowing i would mow that pretty much <laughs> so <laughs> but but it's art you know i mean it, that's a kind of a cool thing to have in your garden now check this next one out cuz this is really pretty cool check that out now i'm going to tell you what that's made out of, that is, that is a dress. It is made from used plastic packing supplies, bubble wrap, drop cloths, aquarium tubing, and soda bottle bottoms. Did you think there was any redeemable quality at all in a soda bottle bottom? Can you say that three times fast, soda bottle bottom? Soda? God has an exquisite design for my life. And he isn't just scrapping together a bunch of desperate uh, schemes that I've got going on in my life to bail me out of the mess I'm in. He is making sense of the mess. He takes the mess. He goes to the garbage heap, much like these artists did. He sees what is there, and he says, you know what? I can use that. I can fashion something out of that. I can take that and that and put that together. We'll take some of that right there and put that together. I can bring some healing here. I can can make some sense out of this. The fact of the matter is, most of the things that have really stuck with me throughout my life that have made any sense to me at all have generally come out of hardship and have generally come out of things that, that I wouldn't want to go through again and I don't really necessarily like and I don't look back on all that fondly. But when I look back on them, it's like, you know what, I learned something in that. He's not merely enabling me to endure the pain. He promises to use the painful, broken shards of glass and the castaway stuff, the stuff that we think is useless to fashion a masterpiece. But still in those dark hours, the things that we really maybe don't say to anybody else, we ask then why doesn't it make any sense to me, God? I mean, this is all going on in my world, but it, it, it's not making sense to me. God gives us a hint in the book of Isaiah. He uses this word, Mahashaba again. I want to read it to you because it's another very familiar passage. For my thoughts, Mahashaba, we can translate that, for my designs are not your thoughts, are not your designs. Neither are your ways my ways, declares the Lord. As the heavens are higher than the earth, so are my ways higher than your ways and my Mahashaba, my thoughts, my designs than your thoughts, your designs. It's not that God doesn't have an incredible design. It is that it is so wondrously high and it is so vastly deep and it is so Unbelievably complex sometimes that we can't even see it coming That what's going on in our world that we think makes no sense at all God says i'm going to take all that and i'm going to put it together and i'm going to use it And I know your heart's broken right now And I know you don't make any sense out of this and I know you're mad at me and I know You got a thousand questions, but you just got to stick with me you, you just gotta have some faith and I'm gonna take the things that are going on in your world and I know a death in your family makes absolutely no sense and your heart is broken. I know that. But I'm gonna make it make sense. Think of Abraham. He must have had some questions about God's promise to give him all the land in Canaan to the north, to the south, to the east, and to the west. The day he he died, he had just a few acres. He did not have everything that had been promised It was held in promise and he was one of many who glimpsed the, only glimpsed the fulfillment of the promises that were made. The writer of Hebrews says, all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance. As Christians, we are set apart not by our understanding. That's not what sets us apart, We are set apart by our faith. And our faith is really not in a promise. Our faith is in the one who makes the promise. See, I could run a lot of people through here and make all kinds of promises to you. The thing you're going to ask yourself is, what authority do they have to make good on that promise? Who are we dealing with? I mean, you know, I could... There's banks that have gone under in the last year that if they stood up here and said, hey, we, we, we stand behind all the, you know, the promises we make, you'd say, thanks, but no thanks. But there are other banks that are solid and strong, and if they stood up here and said, hey, you can put your money with us, it's going to be safe, we're going to take care of it, when you come to get it, it's going to be there for you. you. You would get into that. Neither earth nor the highest heavens can contain He cannot be put into a box. God God can't be defined the way we define other things. He never claims that he's gonna make sense of everything to our mortal, finite minds. He he never promises that we're gonna understand everything. And I think that, that paralyzes us sometimes. We wanna understand everything. We only know that his words never lie and his plans never fail. This life is full of sorrows, it's full of questions, it's hard but that should not cause us to misjudge the depth of God's character or the reality of his promises. You know, when a a, a jeweler wants to show you a ring or a diamond, a, a good jeweler, a reputable jeweler, what they'll do is they will reach into their case and they and a lot of times they have these right on top of the case, these little these black velvet mats. Have you ever seen those? You ever seen a jeweler display something off of a black mat? because diamonds look best when they are put against a black backdrop I've told little girls their whole my whole youth ministry you are a diamond you are a diamond, I've had little girls come to me with tears in their eyes, something that hurt them and you know, w- Brett why did this happen and this hurts so bad and and I'll say you're a diamond and what God's doing is he's putting you against a black background so he can show off how pretty you are He's he's cutting you he's putting facets in you it's, it's not an accident that the most expensive diamonds are the ones with the most facets, the ones with the most cuts in it. And when we go to show those diamonds off, what we do is we put those up against a black backdrop and we say, look how beautiful that is. Likewise, the promises of God shine brightest against a black backdrop of life. In fact, from what Jeremiah says, it's fair to assume that difficulty and pain are exactly the context in which God uttered these words. God's promises are not invalidated by trials, but they take on their greatest significance in the midst of trials. A promise that only makes sense when life is good is really not a very good promise. God is not a a, a God of sentimental wishes and simplistic answers, but he can take our worst tragedy and he can fashion it into an exquisite design, mahasabha. For Jeremiah, God's message had been hard enough to preach, but God pressed Jeremiah even further and called him to live out the message. This is very interesting. Jeremiah's prophecies were so unpopular that he got thrown in prison by the king. And the Babylonian troops were camped all around the city, and they were laying siege ramps up against the city walls. It was bad. And somehow, in the midst of all that, Jeremiah's cousin slips through and gets into the city and gets to Jeremiah and is able to offer Jeremiah what only a fool would, would accept, really. He offers him land out there where the Babylonians are. He says, I got some land I want to sell you. Now, if you're Jeremiah, you're thinking to yourself, why in the world would I do that? Listen to this, Jeremiah 32. Then just as the Lord had said, my cousin Hanamel came to me in the courtyard of the guard and said, "Buy my field at Anatoth in the territory of Benjamin, since it is your right to redeem it and possess it for yourself. Basically, what Hanamel is offering Jeremiah is swampland in Florida. It's not really good to anybody because the Babylonians have it. What good is land that I can't go inhabit? What good is, me, is it for me to own land that a bunch of other people are living on and I can't move them off of it? Within a matter of days, the Babylonians would have seized everything. Buying property at this point kind of seems like, you know, upgrading to first class on the Titanic. Why would you do that? You know, that's just not a good idea. Unless at the end of 70 years, God's promise is going to prove to be true. Unless this is a chance, if you're Jeremiah, to put your money where your mouth is and where your message is to show people, you know what, I really believe that at the end of 70 years, God's going to show up and he's going to do what he's been promising he was going to do. And as he weighed out 17 shekels of silver and signed the papers on the new property, he uttered words that have been sung in this building many times. In fact, we sung these words this morning from another passage, Jeremiah 32, verse 17. Our sovereign Lord, you have made the heavens and the earth by your great power and outstretched arm. Nothing is too hard for you. You brought your people, Israel, out of Egypt with signs and wonders, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm, and with great terror, you gave them this land. Jeremiah knew that for this land to be uh, every bit is worth what he was paying for it. A miracle was going to have to happen. The hand of God would have to make this transaction worth something verse twenty four See how the siege ramps are built up to take the city because the sword, because of the sword, famine, and plague, the city will be handed over to the Babylonians who are attacking it. What you said has happened, and now you see. But Jeremiah counted out the money anyway. piece by piece, he handed that money over to his cousin, to prove that he was holding on to hope. He signs the deed anyway to prove that he still believes in the God who's making the promise. He puts down payment on the future to prove that you can walk by faith. Even in the midst of whatever it is that's going on in your world, you can walk by faith. Even in the midst of what's going on in your world, you can hear this promise. I know the plans I have for you, plans to give you a hope and a promise I don't know what's going on in your world I don't know how dark it is I don't know how hard it is I I know I hear stories and I hear things and I, I know that your heart breaks from time to time and my heart breaks for you I just know that God is faithful I know, I know that we're human, and I know we ask questions, and I know we get scared, and I know we wonder why. And you know what? I don't think that confronts God one little bit. I think God is perfectly fine with all that. But I think what God wants to hear out of us is, God, we believe your promise when you say you have a hope and a promise for us. You want to prosper us. You want to take care of us. You love us. If you're here and you've never given your life to Christ, One of the things that separates you from those who are believers and it doesn't make us better than you We don't ever think we're better than you (laughs) In fact, sometimes we're way worse than you But what separates us from you is that we cling to a promise that you don't have We are forgiven something you haven't been and again that doesn't make us better than you just means we said yes to a gift You can say yes to the same gift you can be forgiven forgiven it's a matter of giving your life to Christ. Uh, we're going to stand and sing in just a moment, give you an opportunity to do that. If you've never come to Christ, you too this morning can come and know the God of the promise who says, I have a plan for you. I have a great design for your life. Let's pray together. Father, it's a hard place. This is a, the world can beat us up. We, sometimes we can bring that on ourselves, and sometimes it happens as a result of things going on around us. Either way, Father, it's a scary place. It's filled with all kinds of pitfalls, all kinds of problems. Lord, my prayer is that we would be a people that are strong enough to know, to have enough faith to know that you're going to make it work out, that you have a grand design, that you have an exquisite design in place for every one of our lives and that that comes together to, to f- fulfill an even bigger design that you have for the whole world. Lord, we're very grateful to have this church, a place we can come and draw strength from one another. And I pray this morning over this church that the things that we're going through and the hardships and the things that we've been reminded of, even as 9-11 has just passed, that we would see that as crazy as this world can get and as scary as it can be sometimes, there is a reason for hope. You are a big God. And you can take the shards and the broken glass and you can put it together and make a mosaic that is the most beautiful thing in the world. We cling to that promise, Father. We cling to the hope that you are who you say you are. And you are the one and the only, and we love you. And it's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Thanks for visiting. We hope you've been encouraged. Please feel free to visit us online at clcchurch.com.